The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk. Good morning, and you're very welcome along to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up this week, the unlikely hackney boy who's the star of hit BBC show The Repair Shop. It's Jay Blades and his amazing life story. We'll be looking at sporting memorabilia from all Ireland medals to signed jerseys. How one town in Ireland has transformed the stumps of diseased poplar trees into incredible roadside sculptures. And she's back, Jennifer Sheehan, on how to create your own home interiors Instagram account. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com or you can get in touch with me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100 uh, or you can uh, text us at 53106 for 30 cent. And remember, you can listen back to the show all of our podcasts, which are up on the News Talk website or on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. Now, I spend a lot of time uh, on Instagram looking in enviously at beautifully curated homes and furnishings belonging to other people. Well, it's been uh, very little excuse given to us to go outside uh, this month. So uh, sometimes I get inspired and excited by decorating or interior hacks and styles. But other times it's just depressing because it looks so stylized and perfect. Uh, and, you know, there's no chance four kids and a dog live in whatever house is being showcased. So I'm looking forward to hearing from Jenny Sheehan later. Uh, she's the former Home of the Year winner. She has a fabulous um, account herself of bits that she does around the house and how to do the same and all of that but I, it's kind of relatable uh, so we'll be looking forward to that so if you have a favourite social media interiors account let me know what it is I'd be dying to find out more that I can add to my feed 53106 uh, is our text this morning Instagram uh, 100 Sinead Ryan and uh, email at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and you're very welcome along today Now, the repair shop on BBC television has been a surprise hit with TV audiences, often pulling in over six million viewers. But perhaps not so much of a surprise when you think of its cast of characters, proper traditional craftspeople bringing childhood toys, memorabilia and furniture back to their former glory. Well, overseeing it all is presenter and furniture restorer Jay Blades. And I caught up with him in Limerick earlier this week. Jay, you're very welcome along to the home show. Both sides of the Irish Sea, the programme has been a huge hit. Why do you think that's so? I, I think the reason why it's been a hit, well, both sides of the RSC, I've never heard that one before, that's quite <laughs> nice, um, is because of the community. The community spirit that's inside the repair shop is something that's heavily um, woven into the fabric of the Irish community, I would say. It's all about community, and that's what repair shop is all about. Mm. It's a group of people coming together and um, supporting another group of people that we know nothing about, and that's it, plain and simple. And it's an unusual show in the sense that the items that you repair, the owners aren't all that interested in the monetary value or what they're worth. It's not like Antiques Roadshow where they're hoping for a killing in the attic. No, no, not at all. Antiques Roadshow um, do what they do. But what we do, it's all about the sentimental value. It's nothing to do. I don't think anybody in the history of the show, and I'm trying to remember, has ever mentioned monetary values. Um, it's always about what it means to the family and why they're holding on to it and why they've held on to it and um, they want to continue this going along through the family generation. So, yeah, it's nothing to do with money. Tell us uh, or remind us of some of the more unusual pieces that you've repaired or um, had repaired in the workshop. Unusual? No one's ever asked that question and that's a really <laughs> good question. Most people ask me what's my favourite. Um, oh, I'll get quite, there. <laughs> which is quite hard to pick. But the most unusual one I've seen 
is probably an ostrich egg cigarette holder. I remember that, and that was really, really hard to repair. I, I didn't think it was possible because you've got an ostrich egg, and then it used to flip up, and then as it flipped up, the cigarettes were on like a on a shelf that would come out. And I was just like, how are you going to do this? Because we had all of the cigarette kind of shelves there, but the ostrich egg, it was, imagine you had a bold egg and all the pieces that you've just peeled, that's what he brought us in. And it was unbelievable. It got repaired. Oh, I, yeah. listen, it always does get repaired. And I, <laughs> we've seen Susie, for instance, doing lots and lots of childhood teddy bears and dolls. And they have such sentimental value. We had Steve Fletcher on the shop on the show last year. Okay, cool. And he cool. was telling us all about, you know, his history with clocks and yes. horology and his third generation and his son, I believe, is now involved. Son, yeah, his well. son's involved, yeah. And isn't that the very essence of that craft trade about the traditional values, but also passing them on? Well, 100% outside of the repair shop I do a lot of um, community work or charity work let's say um, I am an ambassador for the Prince's Foundation also an ambassador for Heritage Crafts ambassador for Quest and the co-chair of Heritage Crafts which is an organization or a charity that has been set up to look at all of the endangered crafts across the across the land and try to make sure that young people get into these to continue that kind of legacy going so um it's very important to all of us what happens with the crafts yes it is a tv show but on the back end of that there is a lot of stuff that all of us are doing to make sure that the crafts are maintained mm. now you are hugely successful now am i wasn't always so no 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 i wasn't always east end of london no, I wasn't always. I think I came into TV, ooh, must be about seven years ago. What were we in? Yeah, yeah, seven years ago. And um, before that, um, born and bred in East London from a very poor background. And then about eight years ago, I fell down, which I mean, what I mean by falling down is I actually hit rock bottom. I hit depression. Um, was homeless for about a week. Uh, was looking for a bridge to crash into. I was in a really dark place. And then about a year after that, I got myself better with the help of a um, family and community and stuff like that. And then a year after that, I think it was 2017, yeah, I came into TV world. And then here I am today. And here you are today. Yeah. A testament to that turnaround. And I know, I read that you were um, uh, diagnosed with dyslexia yeah. late in life because yeah. you learned to read properly yeah. in your what, uh, yeah in my, fi- in my 50s yeah I'd done a show called Learning to Read um, at 51 and basically it was the, the, everything I do now is all about influencing people I'm never going to meet so doing a show around dyslexia there are 8 million people in this country that mm. suffer from dyslexia and, and, and basically what I wanted to do is let them know that you can go out there and seek help it's, it, it's quite it, it's quite daunting to do it but at the same time it opened up a lot um, of discussions in people's houses when I'd done that documentary and a lot of people have taken it up and um, started to learn to read. So I'm really, really happy about that. And do you think we're more open about discussing um, kind of differently abled people these days? Is it better mm-hmm. in schools? I d- schools, I'm not too sure about. I haven't been back to school to find out what the changes are. Some parents have got in contact with me and said that it's still exactly the same. Um, and then some people have said their children are well supported in school. So it depends on what part of the country that you're in. Mm. Um, but for me, I think it's really important that people do have these discussions, especially men. Men, what we tend to do is hold our emotions inside and not really talk about them. And once you do that, then it could end into something like myself when I was looking to drive into a bridge. I think the biggest killer of men over the age of 40 is suicide. And it's because 
because what they say is, is because us men don't open up. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about stuff. So um, whatever I can do to help men, well, kind of support men in opening up, and it's really easy to open up and then receive that help. But no one can help you when they don't know what the problem is. What was it, do you think, mm. that got you to that point, that low point? What got me to that low point was basically not speaking. Um, I never spoke to anybody. I never spoke to anybody about what I was going through, my emotions, um, how I was feeling, finding it hard to cope with the responsibility of being a tough guy. And um, that I think that was basically it. I remember my breaking point when I met my friend, I actually cried in front of another man. And what he did was from that day, even to this day as well, he said he's going to support me. And that's what he's done. So I've received nothing but support. And I say to people, I know it is a very daunting thing to open up. But if people are not willing to support you, then those are not right. They're not the right people around Mm. you, basically. Mm. Yeah. So that would be your message if you are feeling very low and at a, a, a kind of a poor point in your life is yeah. to reach out yeah and 100% there the is there is help out there and sometimes you have to find it um, because there's not it's not obvious help sometimes it can come from the weirdest of places mm. that someone is there to support you but there are a number of charities out there that you can talk to especially there's a number of men groups that I've seen set up there now are. and I know yeah. here we have the men's shed movement which is yeah. fantastic at, at kind yeah. of getting getting older men as you know involved in mm. just making things like furniture or 100%. restoring or upcycling things and, yeah. and over that they talk yes and yeah. maybe men need to be doing something rather than sitting around together do you think yeah, no they they still need to learn how to talk because um <laughs> you women are absolutely brilliant at speaking to each other you know i mean you just talk that's just the way it goes yeah, but i would say too much possibly no Jay. <laughs> not too much you can never talk too much i think basically men need to take a leaf out of the women's book and just understand that yeah we do need to open up and speak um because we don't do it enough. Now, Jay, the repair shop yes. um, yeah. has fixed up o- over the series, as you say, weird and wonderful, everything from teddy bears to ostrich egg cigarette yeah. <laughs> But included in that were some items uh, last year belonging to King Charles, who oh, yeah. came along to yeah. see how you got on. You're mates now, are you? Uh, I, I don't, I don't, he gave you a gong. Well, some, some people say that we are, um, it was a bit of a bromance that built between me and him. Um, no, he's a You're really, light-minded, aren't you? We're very light-minded, but also at the same time, it's like sometimes when you connect with people, you just connect. And um, he's someone who I really admire from what he's been doing um, and been doing it for over 40 years, talking to us about the environment, plastic bags, um, and what we're doing with our, 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 our buildings. There you go. i got a word out. <laughs> sometimes I can't say those big words. But um, when I got to meet him, we just hit it off like a it was just unbelievable um i know a lot of people had a kind of had something to say about me breaking royal protol by touching him but um you gave, if, him, you gave him a mug with his yeah I gave him a mug but i touched him on his arm mind. which is the oh, thing that's not allowed no well, some people say it's not allowed but i say you can't break royal protocol if the royal family don't have a problem with it yeah so and it was he kind didn't. of he didn't because he touched me back so okay. it was kind of cool but no he's he's a really good geezer I really like yeah, him yeah and he does buy into this I mean he walks the walk long before anybody was doing long it before. on sustainability yeah. and you know uh, old uh, craftsmans and tra- trades and yeah. he really has supported that all his life 100% um, so he gave you an MBE yes. and you're now a Chancellor of University what would 10 year old yeah. Jay Blades have to say about all of that um, cool blimey I, I think what 10 year old Jay Blades would say is um, yeah 
<laughs> he would probably laugh. He wouldn't believe it's true. Because even sometimes now, when I look back, the problem I have is I work so much, um, I don't actually look back at what I've been doing and what I'm doing. Um, and it, it's the weirdest thing I'm about to say, because I haven't even digested it. But I think it, yeah, it was Saturday. Saturday just gone. I was having lunch with Dame Judy Dench, sitting down in her house, having lunch. Um, and then about two weeks ago, I was filming, just finished filming with Sir David Jason. I'm about to go out with Sir David Jason and his wife on Saturday. We're going to go and watch um, Peter Kay. It's a surreal life I have at the moment in time. I mean, surreal. I even have handwritten letters by the king or when he was the prince. Um, we wrote to each other. It's... 10-year-old Jay Blaze would laugh and say, no way, this is not happening to you. Impossible. You're enjoying your life, though. Um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. But I enjoy it when I've got time to just stop and really take it in. But I'm, I'm, I'm living it at the moment, and it's quite... It's, it's a very surreal experience. You've just paused me for a minute, and I've just realised, yeah, the people that I've met over the past month, it's just been like... Excuse me, this is a bit much. Well, they're probably saying the same about you. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no. Well, look, we're here in Limerick uh, yes. at Casey's Furniture in Raheen because you have a new collaboration with G Plan Furniture. Yes. Now, this isn't your first outing with that. You bought a piece of theirs many, many years ago. Yeah, I've worked on G Plan stuff for, for such a long time. One of the main reasons why I'm involved in TV is because I've been doing community work and running charities for about 20 years. And I used to teach young people how to restore and revamp old furniture. And that was one of my charities called Out of the Dark. And basically, um, we've always done up G-Plan Furniture because we was based in High Wycombe. That's where G-Plan was originally. And that's my love for old old furniture um, came from. It came from there. And you can just do it up and give it a new lease of life. Instead of it going to a landfill site, you're able to just... Um, yeah, give it a new lease of life and just say to someone, look at this, it's quite cool, isn't it? So what are you hoping out of this collection? What was your what was your kind of vision for it? What did you want? Because well, the, 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 they look, ter they're terribly comfortable. I thought you were going to say well, terrible. No, beautifully <laughs> comfortable. You okay, sink you. into the seats. Yeah. And these lovely jewel colours that you're oh, that you're using in you. the fabrics as well. Thank you. The, the, the thing I wanted out of it, well, I was just like a kid in a sweet shop. I was happy to work with G-Plan, 100%, on anything they wanted me to work on. Um, so coming up with the designs coming up with the names and then the fabric um it was a real honor for me it's still a pinch me moment you admire g-plan stuff when you're growing up then um as i grew up i started working on that old stuff never in a hundred years did i ever believe i would have a collection with g-plan yeah, so definitely. here i am i've got one and i'm, I'm over the moon with it 100 percent. Right. and of course that can be seen down in casey's furniture in raheen if anybody wants to have a look at it so jay finally what's next for you now amid all the lunches and teas with celebrities what's coming yeah. up um more tv shows um, and then I'm trying to think there, there's some stuff oh I can tell you I, I constantly think about doing loads of bits and bobs so I play music um, on the kind of internet but then I dabbled in um, well I'm going to dabble and this is an exclusive nobody oh, knows this um, I'm, I'm, I've, I've started to make um, women's clothes is what I'm doing next. Well, no, that was a left turn I wasn't expecting. Yeah, no you one heard expects it first that. on the home show, folks. Jay <laughs> no Blades is getting into women's and we wear go, collection. We go up to size 22 as well. Um, it's a really beautiful, it's a caption, it's just a, 
a couple of pieces first of all and then yeah. we're launching something really special in um the autumn time but yeah um i've just worked out some of the designs as i was driving up here actually oh, um, fantastic yeah so well, that's that's what's that. next yeah and what's your style go-to? Is it is it bright, vibrant colours? Is it the, echoing, like we've seen downstairs, foliage and plants and all that kind of thing? Or where uh, are you going with it's, it? It's very, it's the, the style of um, fashion I'm going for is very modest, very, very modest. Um, but don't worry, there's always going to be a hint of colour. But you yeah. you get a hint of colour where you never expect it with me. And that's what's happening in the clothing as well. Oh. It's just like, oh, that's tasty. Well, we're delighted to hear it first on the whole <laughs> show. And Jay, thank you so much for thank joining you. us uh, today. Jay's memoir is called Making It, How Love, Kindness and Community Helped Me Repair My Life. And it's published by Pan Macmillan in the UK. And uh, thanks a million for joining us on the whole show. Thank you. You take care. Now, we're right in the middle of the Soccer World Cup at the moment. And while our ladies won't be bringing home any silverware, unfortunately, it did get me thinking about sporting memorabilia in general. Do you have any old match programmes? Do you have a signed jersey from somebody famous? Or indeed, have you sold any? Well, my next guest is Ian White from White's Auctioneers, and he's to tell us a little bit more about this whole area. Ian, you're very welcome uh, back to the home show. Yes, thank you very much. Now, lots of people will have been cheering on the Irish soccer team in Australia, but has, is football memorabilia always popular for collectors? Yes, it is. And it's a very international um, thing because uh, because of the World Cup and so forth. So, um, uh, But very little of the Irish um, soccer um, memorabilia comes on the market. Um, but I think, like for instance, with with the, with the women players at the moment, I think we might see people looking to see if they can get one or two of their their jerseys. Um, the thing with with thing, things like jerseys, by the way, if, if they're match worn, in other words, if they're from a player who actually wore it in that match, they're far more valuable than the replica jersey signed okay. by a player. So, um, a replica jer- jersey play signed by a player might fetch a hundred, hundred fifty euro. Maybe two hundred sometimes, and uh, whereas one that's match worn um, is is much more valuable, and if it's signed by the player to say that it is, and, and you can tell the match worn ones because of special insignia. On them. Oh, I see. Okay, so they're marked mm. out. Now, tell me, sorry, let me ask you then a kind of question which has nothing to do with anything really. Do you yeah. wash it before, <laughs> if it's been <laughs> or do you leave it with stinky side up as it were? It depends how fond you are of the player. Oh, <laughs> <you> <laughs> And also, do you want to keep the DNA to prove that it was? Oh, <laughs> right. The provenance is all important, isn't it? Yes, it is okay. indeed. But I, 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 I'd be careful with them anyway. I mean, you can wash them, but um, sometimes people like to keep them clean and, and then frame them and hang them on the wall. Yeah, you know, so. yeah. And sometimes um, you see them being auctioned off for charities and things indeed, like that. Indeed, yeah. We, we, we get team. them in our own auctions, yeah. yeah. yeah and, and, that. and actually, when they're sold in charity auctions, they go for pretty high prices because people are giving a donation so sometimes you might find a a jersey that's sold for a thousand euro at a charity auction might only fetch 200 in a regular auction Okay and so So. in Ireland then Ian what are the most popular type of sports memorabilia is it is it GAA is it rugby Yeah GAA would be be number one followed then by by soccer Um, GAA material things like an All-Ireland medal for instance an All-Ireland gold medal that they they fetch anywhere from two three thousand euro up to ten thousand plus. Gosh! And the funny thing is, the more recent they are, the more they're worth because uh, the people who want them want them want them from players they know. 
Oh, right. Scene, I see. So it's not divide. the antique at nature. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's the opposite. Yeah, <laughs> antique. Uh, like we've had ones from the 1890s that fetched two, three thousand. Um, we did have one fascinating one that was 1895, which is a virtual All Ireland Championship medal. And what happened there it was a crazy situation. Um, it was two teams uh, in those days. The All Ireland was club teams, mm. so the club would represent the county. So. In that case, it was a team from Navin called the Pearsomanis and a team from uh, Tipperary uh, called the Aravales. Um And the score in the end was four, three uh, points, four points, three points to, to, to the Tipperary team. But the ref had added up the score wrong. <laughs> they didn't have a scoreboard in those days. It was his right. notebook. And in fact, it should have been a draw. Um, so uh, to cover up, the, the, the Navin team were quite gracious and said, uh, "No, look, we won't, we won't look for a replay." Um, but they gave them virtual championship medals instead. Oh my goodness! Well, that I tell you what, uh, well, that we, wouldn't happen nowadays for sure. No, I mean you know it's on television already. I mean it was the first match that was ever played at Jones's Road, um, yeah. which was later at Croke Park. Of course, but uh, yeah. So, the, but that medal, that medal fetched ten thousand euros. So. Wow, uh, yeah, you know, I can understand why it's a very, very, it's a great story. You know? Yeah, and it's such yeah. an unusual event to have happened that people want yeah. maybe the memory of that among collectors. Yeah, exactly. Now, yeah, wh- yeah. what what is the most kind of what are the most collectible items? Is it is it the shirts, the programs, the merchandise? Programs are probably the most collected okay. um, because they're easy to you know they're they're, they're interesting and you can read them and, and uh, uh, they, they they record what happened and. Um, the programs tend to be the more recent ones are quite quite common. They don't they don't fetch much money. But um, when you go back to the early days, we 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 had a, a one recently. And it was uh, 1914 football uh, All Ireland final, Kerry versus Wexford, uh, which is an unusual combination. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's over eight thousand euro. Gosh, because uh, it's so just so rare. I suppose very rare. It's it oh, the only okay. one that we've ever seen. It, it, from the 1920s on, they tend to go from the 1920s, you're looking at 500, mm. up to 500, sometimes a bit more. And then as the years go on, 19, 1950s, all Ireland programs will sell anywhere from 100 euro up to 200 euro. And do you find and then after that, they go, go for a lot less. Do you find that people either, you know, are serious collectors and this is their lifelong passion or are, yes. is some of this stuff uncovered when you're clearing out Granny's house, you know, in the yeah, attic? Yeah, sometimes yeah, people people will be, as you say, clearing out the house and they find these things. So they, they email us uh, or phone us and ask for evaluation. Mm. And we, we, we we're happy to give that, them that. And if they then want to go and sell it, then we put it into an auction for them. And how are, how popular are items belonging to famous people? So like a, a shirt George Best wore, yeah, George, or Pele or, you know, somebody yeah, like that. Yeah, um, George Best is very, very popular here, obviously. Great Northern Ireland and Manchester United player. So um, he, he, he thinks, I mean, a signed, a signed worn jersey from, from the, the uh, European Championship would be worth thousands of pounds um, and uh, we haven't actually had one of those unfortunately yet right. but uh, yeah the, the, the players uh, Pele we've had a, quite a number of people writing to us about Pele because uh, Pele played for Santos in a game here in Ireland and yes. he played a friendly here uh, uh, unfortunately Pele signed a lot of things 
so his signature. <laughs> he diluted his own face. Yeah, own collectability. he's very generous in his signing. I mean, he's it's a quick name. In anywhere. fairness, you can yeah, dash off yeah. a lot of them in one go. And that's true too. Okay. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, Muhammad Ali is another one. Muhammad Ali in his in his retirement, he made he made his income from signing things. I believe he signed a few hundred a week. Oh right, so, okay. So, so again, so signature is not terribly rare. Okay, so so the but valuable the, ones are the unsigned. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, boxing things, gloves. Like, things signed by Pele tend to be around a hundred to two hundred okay. euro. Now, okay. Not yet. Now, and that, mind you, again, if you had a shirt he wore in the World Cup, uh, yes, you're on to, you're on to huge mm, money. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So for collectors then who who do this thing and they hang around and they collect merch and, mm. and they want to get it signed. What is the best advice if you meet a famous sports star? Is it to get them to sign it to to Sinead from whoever or no? no. Try not okay. to make it personal. I mean, it's up to you. If you want your name on it, try and but if when you go to sell it, it'll be let, you'll get less money because people like to buy them without a personal dedication. Mm. On the other hand, what what people are doing, what collectors are doing nowadays is they'll they'll get a, a picture of a selfie with them. And if possible, showing them signing the football or oh, the jersey. Oh, right. It, yeah. it, lads, it lends that authenticity. Yeah. I was here, yeah. I met them, and, and yeah. here's the signature on And here's it. a okay. picture of me with them. Okay, and, and, okay. And that's, that really copper fast. Because there are a lot of fakes around, and um, you have to be careful if you're buying things on the internet. Um, we see we see a lot of a lot of people come in with, say, forged signatures. Yeah, um, Particularly of the more famous people. Uh, and again, in the in the trade, in the, in the big big trade in autographs, uh, both worldwide, mm. and they have these certificates of authenticity. Uh, but again, they have to come from a reputable dealer or yeah. firm, and there are associations that again there are forged certificates. Of course, of course, of course. And well, that's your job, <laughs> you know, and you you authenticate yeah, all this stuff that comes yeah, in. Yeah, it takes some time. Sometimes I can imagine. Yeah. And Ian. Yeah. Uh, of uh, Ian White of White's Auctioneers. If there was one sporting item uh, to go through your auction house, what would you most like to see? Gosh, uh, I'd, I'd love to see. Uh, well, I tell you what, I'd love to see something from the girls uh, in the World Cup. Ah, uh, and okay. see how that that goes because they're, they're really doing terrific uh, work for us. And uh, okay. you know, it'd be a lovely thing to have. Maybe maybe someday we'll see 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 them uh, do that. But. Uh, I mean, in general speaking, we don't see much. We don't see any, hardly anything from women mm. uh, in sport. Uh, in fact, having said that, the other day I was going through a collection of old medals, and uh, somebody left in, and there's a Trinity College Boat Club medal for the ladies' match, uh, ladies' uh, race. So um, uh, it shows you that women were recognised in sport back in over 120, 30 years ago. All right. Well, listen, people can have a look out for all of that yeah. stuff. You have ongoing auctions at yeah. White's Auctioneers and, and you can uh, have a look at see what's there if that's the kind of thing that takes your fancy. And Ian White, Chairman of White's, thanks a million for chatting to us about thank, that. Thank you, Sinead. Now, the people of Smithborough in County Monaghan have turned the stumps of a row of 70 foot high diseased poplar trees along its main road into stunning sculptural works of art. And to tell me more about the project, I'm delighted to be joined by one of its artists, Jimmy Cosgrave, and by Smithborough Tiny Towns Committee member, Karen McCaffrey. Uh, Folks, you're both very, very welcome to the home show this morning. Karen, let me start with you. This is a very unusual project. Tell us a little bit about how it got started. Hi, Sinead. Thanks for having us on. Um, well, I suppose the whole thing came about when we noticed that um, 
some of the trees weren't growing. There's approximately 25 um, poplar trees on the main approach road into the village, and there was about 12 of them just weren't growing. So we got a local environmental consultant out to have a look at them, and he confirmed they were actually diseased, 12 of them. Um, so because the, the trees are so distinctive and quite high, they're like a poplar tree, so they grow very fast and very high, and they're, they're beautiful to look at, but they don't actually recommend planting them anymore. So we knew when they had to come down because they were diseased and we were trying to think of ways to fill the void because it was going to leave such a big space uh, and then we knew if we tried to plant other trees they wouldn't sort of grow as fast to, you know to keep up with them so we came up with the idea to leave six foot stumps and to do some tree carvings with them so that's sort of how it all came out the trees had to come down there was no choice in that so. okay so so these were kind of under orders to be cleared so you didn't have to have really i suppose the the mm. Uh, kind of persuading people that these had to go or any no, of that they were because they were going to be a risk that fall you know they were condemned they had, yeah they okay. had to be removed so we were very fortunate in that the the county council um, Ballybay Clonus Municipal District supported us in helping getting some funding for the removal of the trees so that was greatly welcomed <laughs> So the fact that you were allowed to leave them as stumps so even though they were diseased and rotten as long as they didn't pose a risk to the public you know, exactly. in terms of being, they, they didn't have to come out of the ground. Was that it? That's it, yeah. Um, and, you know, we were very fortunate that uh, Jimmy and Sean, um, because it was when we started to, to research tree carvers, it was really, really hard to find anyone. And just by pure uh, chance and luck and talking, locally we were able to find Sean and Jimmy, who just live over the border in County Fermanagh. Um, and they were right under our nose all that time <laughs> and uh, they do it as a hobby uh, you know so it was wonderful to be able to get them on board with the project then as well and the fact that they were local was brilliant. Now of course we have Jimmy uh, uh, Cosgrave on the line too. Jimmy you're very welcome along to the show. Uh, how unusual was this project for you? Well it was unusual because of the amount of challenges that had to be done you know myself and Sean had done bits and pieces and took our time and did a little bit and went back to our project and these were um, we started off really with uh, the tiny towns community asking us to do a couple of trees and then we kind of got into it and we did them all so it was uh, unusual for us in that it was stretched out and it was unusual for us in that we did some figures that we hadn't done before And where did the ideas come for the sculptures themselves? Because there's a weird and wonderful and fabulous arrangement. Everything from um, a bird of prey, an eagle holding on to a fish with its claw, squirrels carved into the wood. Where did your ideas come from, Jimmy? Well, the ideas came from, uh, some of the ideas came from the Teddy Town Committee and we talked to them and Joanne Behan, a local artist, and we discussed what we could do. the other ideas came from ourselves because we looked at the trees. And yeah, we originally, yeah, we are just um, explained from the beginning. Originally, um, Sinead, we were thinking about telling the history of the village through the tree trunks. Um, and then when we sat down with the local artist, Joanne, it became obvious, you know, the, the local history here is to do with the creamery, the railway line, the canal. And it was quite difficult to create a visual impact, you know, when we seen mm-hmm. those on the drawings. But we still, when we met with Sean and Jeremy, then they obviously have the experience of what really looks well and what stands out and that is animals. So we kept a little bit of the history in that um, 
we have the representation of the creamery there with the milk flowing from the bucket, which is a lovely piece. And also the wind spirits, because the local historian here in the village, Anne Corley, said Smith was very badly hit the night of the big wind back in 1839, in January 1839. So we have a male and a female wind spirits, which are beautiful and really stand out as well. But Jimmy and Sean knew from doing these before that the animals mm-hmm. and what type of animals and they had the experience in doing them really stood out. In particular, the eagle, the workmanship, and the eagle holding the fish is absolutely fantastic. It is is extraordinary. And actually, Jimmy, let me ask you that. What is the process of tree sculpting? Did it matter that these were diseased trees or are they the best kind to work with? How do you do that? It didn't matter because the the stumps were mostly intact, but we did hit some pockets of of rotten um, wood in some of the trees and we had to change the design. But mostly you can see it. Sometimes you get unpleasant sprays when you've done loads of work and you get into the middle of the tree and you discover a big rat pocket with the mm. whole thing to be redone. But we we look, what we do is we look at the trees and we look how they're orientated. We look at the, each tree's own different characteristics like um, knots and bores and things like that. Like if you look at the fox, the pictures of the fox, the fox's tail goes out into a bush. That bush mm. at the end of the tail was a big kind of a knotty, whirly thing coming out of the side of the tree. So we tied that in and we worked from, we worked from photographs then and off our mobile phones and we just sketched them onto the tree and then we more or less do it by hand, freehand, you know. And what so, what kind of tools do you use? I mean, it's like, a, is it a chiselling operation or saws or, or how do you kind of get the finer details? No, it's all chainsaws with different sizes and we have a, a couple of small ones as well and then we use grinders to take out some, uh, carving grinders as well to take out mm. some of the timber as well and sanders to sand them down. We had another guy with us who, because there were so so many um, figures we had another guy was called John McCabe and he did the sanding and varnishing for us because it was quite time consuming because there was so much. I can imagine and listen for anybody out there who might be getting inspiration this isn't kind of DIY at home stuff is it? No. No <laughs> it's it's a chainsaw is a very dangerous you have to be know what you're doing, you know. Right, okay. And and, and there was a lot of local support for it. Uh, I know that the local uh, organisation, I have a huge amount of time for, uh, the Men's Sheds Movement. Um, there were a lot of people who were kind of bought into the whole project in terms of, you know, the wider possibilities here. Yeah, well, Sean works with a number of Men's Sheds and he does a bit of tutoring with them as well. And uh, that's um, where uh, John McCabe got involved in it as well. He works with Sean in the Men's Sheds. I do a bit of work with them as well, so um, that's that's where that the men's shed tie-in came from. You know, mm. uh, it's it's nice work, you know, for your mood and mm. uh, gets you out and about socialising, and uh, you know, you have something in your hands. It's the the figures are very tactile. For it's like the biggest problem we had when we were travelling was other people stopping to talk to us. We were talking <laughs> all day. Okay, you know, and so if I urge anybody who wants to look at them to pull in because you'll always meet somebody from Smithborough. He'll tell you a story about one the of them. story about them and all of that. Okay. And Karen, was there um, much support locally for this project? Oh, there definitely was. You know, um, we have a very good community spirit here in Smithborough. And if you're doing any projects, everybody's eager to be involved. We had um, the local Froga, which was great to see, came out and they helped us do uh, some varnishing because they actually needed a few coats of varnishing and uh, they came out and done that. And it's great to get them involved from that age mm. up to sort of inspire them to sort of keep doing things and, you know, helping out in the local community. Um, but no, everybody just uh, loves them. And it's great to see, you know, Jimmy Cosgrave and uh, Karen McCaffrey. You've done a fantastic uh, 
body of work here and a great project and a, a lovely addition uh, to the area of Smithborough in County Monaghan. And thank you for joining us on The Home Show to tell us all about it. That's great. Thank you very much, Sinead. And you're very welcome back to the Home Show podcast with me, Sinead Ryan. And joining us this week, our regular guest, Jennifer Sheehan, uh, former Home of the Year winner. And uh, Jennifer, you're very welcome to the Home Show. Lovely to be here. And we thought we would take a look this week at, I mean, both of us, Jennifer, follow, you know, Instagram Mm. and Pinterest boards and all that. Try and get ideas, uh, you know, for our Mm. own homes, but also for the show. And uh, some of them are just spectacular and they're aspirational and wonderful. And, you know, you think, gosh, I'd never be able to do that. And then others are this kind of knee deep in dirt, kind of scrubbing (laughs) floors and this transformation thing. Uh, And it struck me that... um, like anybody can do this. I mean, the, the yeah. whole accessibility of somewhere like Instagram means that if you take on a project, you can just document it. And, you know, there's people interested in weird and wonderful things on the Internet. So talk to us uh, a little bit about you got your account from zero. Yeah. To what, about 15,000 plus, yeah. I think, yeah. And you're so, very Instagram based, aren't I do, you? yeah, I love Instagram, although I do have a website now that, I, that I've started putting more content on in blogs. So you can go to jennysheehan.com as well as Instagram. But, you know, I'm definitely not an expert on the topic by any stretch, but but I think that might be helpful maybe for people listening because, you know, I'm only a step ahead maybe of someone who hasn't done it at all. Mm. Um, and so I'm totally happy to share all my learnings, all my thoughts on this topic. OK, so when you're setting up an Insta... OK, so let's assume people can do the technical bits of setting up an account. Folks, if I can do it, anybody can. It's <laughs> very, very straightforward. Um, but in terms of documenting a, a project or documenting yeah. a story, uh, what kind of things are people most interested in? Yeah, and, you know, People is a broad term because it's it's everyone's going to be interested in different things. So if you're so first of all, if you're setting up from scratch and you do want to document your home renovation or redecorating or whatever, it is helpful to set up a different account because it means you're not swamping your friends and your family with stuff that you know they can choose to follow or choose to engage or not. And the other thing is, it's great for you as well to be able to overload your feed with all the great inspiration and other accounts that you might want to get lots of ideas from. And it is brilliant for that; it's unparalleled. So. The first thing to do that's really helpful is to set up a creator account if you're planning to, you know, to grow it and, and to use it as as um, as a platform at some point. That's really, really helpful. And the second thing is to decide what is it that you're you're sharing, like what's going to be helpful. So if you're if you're renovating, be open about what you're you're doing. Like share tips, share frustrations, although don't be whiny. <laughs> share your learnings, share, you know, ask for advice. People love to engage. And one thing I've I've really found, and I know there's all sorts of, of thoughts out there about social media, but definitely for me it's been a very positive space. I mean anyone who I've interacted with and that's a thank you from me to anyone who has, you know, followed yeah, me can, and interacted and, with me. And do you know what I think that's important because yeah. this is not the kind of thing people who haven't done this before kind of get a bit wary about social media as a broad yeah. umbrella they think they might be abused or people coming this isn't a Twitter slash no. X project I don't care what Elon Musk calls it it's, this is Instagram is a different space in the yeah. main Oh, in the main, I did have one woman who lost her mind because I left my toilet seat up in a photo of my bathroom. <laughs> that did not people, go down well. People, so some people have a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> Let, let's leave it at that. Not okay. immune, but I would say overwhelmingly positive. Okay. So set out your project. So it could yeah. be something as simple as, I don't know, upcycling a chest of drawers yeah. or it could be an entire home renovation or it could be a new painting build. or yeah, whatever yeah. you're doing. Okay. So set up early. Let people know what it is you plan to do. Yeah. 
and then document it as you go or yeah. do you wait till the end and then no as up? you go definitely do it okay. as you go people love getting in you know into the weeds with you and going on the journey with you and it's so interesting and exciting you'd be surprised you know your friends and family might be sick <laughs> in my case <laughs> of listening to you talk about your home yeah. search or your you know your paint choices or whatever but people online if they're going through something similar or they're planning to go through something similar they'll want to see all the details they'll want to learn because you'd be surprised even the smallest thing that you share could be a huge learning for somebody else you know so so I, I, I would say go for for more So would you advocate then small snippets like a, a kind of a video yeah. or stills photographs just in quick hits Yeah so and the key there as you say quick hits is consistency so one thing, I mean, I'm, I'm talking here about it being overwhelmingly positive. It's also very addictive. I definitely find it addictive. So you don't want to fall down a rabbit hole either of your whole life being wrapped up in it and everything you do thinking about what photo should I take of this and what should I post there and what will, you know, what will people think? So you want to kind of try to refrain from that as much as possible. And what really helps there is planning ahead and thinking, OK, you know what, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6pm, I'll do a post, I'll do a reel and I'll do a story or whatever it might be. And there's all sorts of information out there about what the right way to do that is and how often and blah, blah, blah. It's really about you and what works for you. If it's once a week, great. If it's four times a week, that's fine. Just find out, you know, what works within within your life and what do you have what do you have time for? Now, people, of course, might be thinking, well, sure, how will people know about me? Where will I get followers from? Yeah. How many will I get? <laughs> you you don't get too hung up on all of that. I You can't, you can't. Because I really, I remember it went from zero to nothing and I definitely for a little bit there was like, oh my God, I'm losing followers. That's terrible. What am I doing wrong? And then I was like, what? These are not, these are strangers on the internet. They're just not renovating their house anymore it doesn't matter so if if it's something that you're thinking of doing you know you might get no followers and that's fine your house is still lovely it's still your house and you're doing it for you they don't have to come and live there so you know please don't get hung up on that it's not worth it overall um but what can be really helpful is hashtags. So people will find you two ways. One is what you've put in your bio on Instagram. So that's the about me piece underneath the, the your homepage. And two is what hashtags you use. So look at other look at other accounts, Instagram accounts that you're following that you really like. See what hashtags they're using. See if they're appropriate to you and build it up. Because that way. when you put in a hashtag and you start typing in, I don't know, interiors exactly. or upcycling, you're going to get like you know ten million yeah. people have this hashtag, uh, and. The posts that annoy me on Instagram are the ones that have 50 hashtags following them. In other yeah. words, they're trying to hit every <laughs> single solitary box. Yeah. You know, People don't read them. But is that a way of pinging on, on somebody else's interest maybe? Yeah, it could be. But I would always say if you're trying to please everyone, you're going to please nobody ultimately. You know, you're not Kim Kardashian. You're not going to get a million, billion followers like over the next few years. So I would say niche down and just be really specific because if you use a hashtag that isn't relevant to what you're actually posting and somebody comes across it, that's annoying. That's annoying for them. You know, yeah. if you were looking for advice on something and you were searching paint ideas and you got, you know, garden renovation. It's just not that interesting yeah, for you. Yeah. So just, you know, just keep it specific. Keep it relevant and specific. Uh, and yeah. of course, for the for the lucky few uh, where it takes off and the hashtags and the followers and all of that, you start getting then, do you get companies interested yeah, in the you kind can. of thing you work? I don't want to over egg this because it's not, it's, you know, some people do make a living out of this, but not many and not a great one, yeah, you know, so yeah. so I wouldn't Don't bank on it, on it. <laughs> to okay. use the fun. But yeah, c- companies can reach out. What can be really helpful there is just be, you know, first of all, definitely only work with brands that you actually like and that your people who are following you would actually want to buy from and that you're comfortable yourself mm. buying from. Don't sell out. And then for yourself, it's really helpful to put together some kind of an engagement pack. So a bit about you, a bit about who your follow- followers are, where are they, you know, what age range are they, what are they interested in, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then find a way 
to price what you're you're doing. Okay. I have no advice on how to do that, but find a way to do it. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, super <laughs> advice there. So start small, start with the project and don't worry about all the back stuff, the algorithms and the yeah. followers and all of that. Just it changes so like. often anyway. It'll exactly. wreck your head. Just enjoy it. Exactly. All right. Well, listen, uh, that's fantastic advice, Jennifer. And thank you so much. Uh, and of course, if you want to see Jenny's own Instagram account, uh, Masterclass maybe in how it's done, <laughs> uh, it is at Workers, Workers Cottage. Cottage. And that is all we have time for this week on this week's show. If you'd like to get involved in the pod, you'd like to contact us. Well, then, of course, you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. Uh, thanks to Eva Breen producing this week and Stephen McLoon was on sound. All of our podcasts are up now on the News Talk app uh, which is powered by Go Loud. Have a great weekend and we'll be back for the next episode. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk.